Todd. Party on, Sal. Rock on. Rock on. Well, welcome, most excellent Party On Johncasters. Welcome back to another episode of the Party On Johncast. I'm Reverend Sal Sarmarco, a ordained minister of word and sacrament in the Presbytery of Newton, ordained to the validated ministry of chaplaincy. And I am uh, Todd Laddick. I am an ordained elder in the greater in the United Methodist Church of Greater New Jersey, and I uh, am serving a a uh, church in Newton on higher ground from Sal. <clears throat> it's the only higher ground I give him. Apart from divine providence. That's right. <laughs> um... Okay, so that brings us into our ever-esteemed Hebrews segment. What are you drinking, Sal? All right. Well, um, we know God loves coffee because he wrote about it in the book of Hebrews. Ah. Uh, Every time. (laughs) I am drinking um, Krispy Kreme medium roast coffee. Um, Everybody knows Krispy Kreme for their donuts. Um, Not so much their coffee. That's very hard to find around here, but it is, um, it's a, I would say it's better than Duncan's coffee, a lot more consistent. Um, I wouldn't say it's as good as Starbucks or a local coffee house, but it is uh, good. It's a nice, uh, smooth, um, it's like a good cup of diner coffee. A good cup of diner coffee. Better than Duncan. Better than Duncan. Uh, quick question. Would you say Krispy Kreme as a whole is better than Dunkin', or do you like their D- D- Dunkin's donuts better than Krispy Kreme's? Krispy Kreme as a whole is better than Dunkin'. Okay, okay. I, I know their donuts are a lot fresher. Yeah, usually. I mean, if you go Dunkin' Donuts early in the morning, you are you hit it on. But, um, yeah, I feel like Dunkin' Donuts has more variety. Mm-hmm. Uh, cr- at least it, it, we don't have a whole lot of Krispy Kreme, like, brick and mortar locations around here so you get them at, at the supermarket so that could be possibly why mm-hmm. but i feel like uh like it's always anytime i see crispy cream it's basically glazed donuts glazed. yeah the only time i ever see um a selection more select uh selections is if um when schools do donut drives and mm-hmm. raise money you see, folks, this does not concern me one bit, and you want to know why that is? Because I'm vegan, and I can't have um, uh, them because they're laced with chicken ovum. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say lard, but... Yeah, well, there's lard in there, too, I'm sure. So, yeah, yeah, animal fat animal fat and chicken ovum. Next time you go to Dunkin' <laughs> or Krispy Kreme, just think, you're eating the fat off the buttocks of an animal, and you are ingesting... Unfertilized ovum. Unfertilized ovum. I like, mm. I like my ov- unfertilized ovum uh, over easy. And... <laughs> I was going to say, and just so you know, Sal is not vegan, so he has to put up with this. Um, I am drinking today, uh, how do you pronounce that, Gervalia? Gavalia. Or Gavalia. Uh, so it's Gavalia uh, Special Reserve Costa Rica. Uh, Costa Rica sounds like a place I'd rather be than New Jersey right now. Mm-hmm. And I saw it, and I'm like, gee, I haven't had this coffee. They're Swiss-based. Uh, or no, they're Sweden. They're from Sweden. Sweden. They're from Sweden, so they're Swedish. And uh, their coffee is really solid. I, I bought this, and I also have um, their just their uh, house blend um at home and it is super good um really not bitter but but has flavor and character unlike dunkin donuts unlike dunkin well i'm let me correct that i was initially going to review uh brooklyn roasters donut shop coffee um 
Talk about dirt filtered through a wet sock. Um, it was uh, on the level of Folgers or Maxwell House. <laughs> that was totally referenced to an experience I had with cold <laughs> brew, wasn't it? Yeah. So basically, they made Dunkin' Donuts seem like high-end coffee. They did. Well, there you so go. We have that, something. We we can say Dunkin' Donuts is better than something uh, else. That pound of coffee, coffee quickly went in the trash. You're welcome, Dunkin' Donuts. We're happy to give you that endorsement. Yeah. Um, so, so you didn't even finish it. it no, just gone. threw it away. Um, okay, well then this brings us to our most excellent music segment. Awesome. So, uh, you want to go first with your music review, Todd? Yeah, I'll go, I'll go first. Um, I just, uh... I've been listening a lot lately, and I knew we were going to be talking about um, Pervenient Grace and all of that stuff. Um, and so I uh, – and you're going to hear me moving the mic around so I can actually look at the lyrics and uh, and uh, face the microphone so I'm not talking away. But uh, actually, uh, I've been listening a lot to a band called VNV Nation. Uh, I'm not sure if you had ever heard of them before or not, Sal, but they are um, – they started off kind of uh, their first album, I would say, was uh, a bit industrialish, EBM type type music, electronic body music. You, uh, you inter- introduced them to me. I'd never heard of them. Okay, so I introduced them to Sal. That is awesome. Um, they are, uh, but they've gotten into kind of like um, like what's what's the type of um, music? Let me. Uh, so they've kind of gotten into. Um, uh, they're still electronic. They're somewhat industrialist, but they're more like an alternative electronic, um, like sort of, uh, you know, like synth pop, future pop, EBM, you know, like that sort of thing. A little bit of a punk influence here or there, not so much, and and definitely a an industrial kind of influence. But they're but they're more like synth pop, future pop, uh, kind of a new new wave type sort of music. And they have a song that I'm going to recommend um, called uh, Genesis. And I this is the first song I had ever heard from them. And um, basically, uh, the song really kind of fits the theme of Prevenient Grace, which, by the way, you'll notice that our, our title, uh, actually, our title for this episode is called called into a prevention plan uh which kind of ties in both the presbyterian and the wesleyan uh idea of prevenient grace and we'll get into that a little bit but this kind of so let me read the lyrics and and we'll post as we always do we'll post videos or whatnot to the songs this song is really beautiful it can make you cry if you listen to it but here are the lyrics uh breathing in air permeated soaked in darkness emanating from within resonating like a scream no one can hear um i wear this chaos well though none should save me desperation keeps me here i need my need for innocence the place where i began the abyss becomes me i wear this chaos well are these not words of heresy a venom on my lips of poison my spirit impurified in everything I choose to say. With you, I stand in hope that God will save us from ourselves. 
Every cry a wasted moment until another day is lost. Even lands we once called home lie undiscovered and unknown. Only heaven's silence for an answer. And did our laughter, did our tears have some purpose after all? Did we toil in vain in hope that wisdom came from what we'd done? Even lands we once called home lie undiscovered and unknown. Only heaven's silence for an answer. And what I love about this song is, is a, it's a, um, a person, a human being, um, sh- grasping at the straws, realizing that things aren't right. And no matter what he tries to do, no matter what wisdom he thinks he's collect, no matter what, this world isn't getting better and his place in it isn't any better. And in fact, he contributes to, <laughs> in some way or another to the, the state of the world. I wear this chaos well. Um, and this shouldn't be. And my hope, I stand with you. I stand in hope with you that God will save us from ourselves. That, my friends, is the result of prevenient preventing grace. That that recognition that this isn't right and God, God's out there and God maybe can help us. And we have that hope. Even if we don't know exactly in the moment how to get there, yep. that ability to know that and to reach out for God, even in words, is prevenient grace all the way to receive an effectual calling that's an effectual calling (laughs) we'll get into that later yeah very nice that that does fit our theme today um my my song is actually uh megadeth um symphony symphony (laughs) and i think this is this is this is uh this song is it's from an uh, an album called risk uh came out in 1999 Mm -hmm. right around the change of the century megadeth kind of uh experimented with their sound they kind of went a little more alternative slash a little more radio friendly um and this is around the time or slightly before the time that dave mustaine was born again so i don't know if he necessarily had a spiritual connotation to this song but there's a song uh, and i only realized um how much this uh, how good this album was because there's a song on it called insomnia and my wife suffers from ins- insomnia. So I said, oh, that reminds So every time she'd say it, I'd, I would sing the song in my brain. So I, oh, cool. <laughs> uh, but, well, not cool for your wife. Not, not cool for Allison. Yeah, but. Yeah. So there's a song on the album called I'll Be There. And it kind of, kind of speaks a little bit to um, the idea of grace and how grace works in our lives. But I think it also speaks to how God through Jesus and the Holy Spirit is with us throughout our lives, no matter what. Kind of the uh, Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of death. Uh, So the lyrics are, I heard the voice of redemption. For me, there is no exemption. I started praying. I heard the voice of satisfaction, needing me for benefaction. I started pleading. I heard the bells begin to chime, warning me, oh Lord, don't let this be my time. I'll be there for you when you walk through the fire. I'll be there for you when the flames get higher, when nothing fits and nothing seems right till the very last breast, breath of my life, not breast, breath <laughs> of my life. I'll be there for you. I'll be there. You saw me slide. You saw me fall. We kept our pride through it all. We started screaming. When skies are dark, no sun shines through. I know I see the light in you. Uh, we stopped dreaming and started believing. I'll be there for you when we walk through the fire. I'll be there for you when the flames get higher. When nothing seems right and nothing fits, 
I'll be till the very last breath of my life. I'll be there for you. I'll be there. Hmm. So. And so when you hear that song, what do you, what, what images does that draw? So it draws up for me, um, my own experience of, um, walking through the fire and having, knowing that the presence of Christ is was there with, with me. you. So, so that's almost as if Christ and, is talking, yeah. I'll be there. I'll be there. Yeah. Uh, and, and working, regenerating me. Yeah, okay. Um, Awesome. So that is our most excellent music segment. Again, we will post uh, links, to the, links to the videos uh, to that, um, either lyric videos or official videos, depending what we find. Um, so that gets us into our topic, which is on, preve- to use the Wesleyan language, on preventing or prevenient grace. Now, I just wanted to quickly define terms, and then what I was thinking we could do, Sal, is I'll let you sum up prevenient grace from a Calvinist perspective, a mm-hmm. quick sum up, and then I'll do a quick sum up of a prevenient grace from a Wesleyan perspective, and then I will turn it over to Sal to give main arguments for the Calvinist way of viewing things, and then following Sal, I will come in with the main way, uh, the main arguments for for the Wesleyan doing uh, way of doing things. And we're going to try to keep this as succinct as possible. Um, it'll, but I hope that it, by the end of this uh, episode, you'll have an understanding of, um, yeah, of, of pre- prevenient preventing grace from, it's going to be, it's not going to be a debate or anything like that. Uh, we, we are coming from our perspectives and you'll hear both perspectives. And I think that that's the best way to, to do it. Uh, God knows that no Calvinist has converted a Wesleyan and no Wesleyan has converted a Calvinist for the most part uh, on either end of that uh, throughout the last uh, few hundred years and uh, no need to try now. But uh, but it is good to know the different the different sides. So just to define terms, uh, preventing and prevenient grace um, are pretty much used synonymously and, and they're not as used. I mean, prevenient is kind of, I guess, for Calvinism, but differently. Slightly different. Slightly different. Um, but, but in terms of Wesleyan uh, lingo, uh, preventing and prevenient are used synonymously, though they mean slightly different things, both actually... And- and despite that they mean different things, both actually apply to the same grace. So prevenient means it precedes, it comes before, um, it, it uh, is totally God's sovereign will for that grace to be uh, nothing nothing called nothing puts it there but god basically so it's prevenient but it's also preventing um and we'll get into I'll, I'll get into how it's preventing a little bit later but that's basically the defining of the terms so when you hear prevenient or preventing they're being used synonymously for the same thing and that will become clear as we go on so sal give a quick sum up of prevenient grace from a calvinist perspective well, from a Calvinist perspective, uh, we don't really necessarily use the term prevenient grace. Um, what's most probably most associated with that would be irresistible grace, um, the, the the grace of God that is you you are powerless to not respond to. Um, how it relates to because in Calvinism you have what everyone knows as tulip the five. The five points of Calvinism; those are also referred to as the uh, the means of grace. Mm. Uh, so, for the the what would be associated with prevenient grace is um, irresistible grace. Is that uh, through that uh, the Holy Spirit regenerates you uh, from a point beyond you know from a point 
in the past before. Um, and it's that's how you are uh, regenerated or as... Um, so it comes before. In other words, before. there's nothing you did to earn nothing it. You did it happened it. before you were even formed in your mother's womb, yes. but you are being regenerated by the Spirit per the will of God. Per the will of God. Does that sum it up? That sums it up. Okay. So for for the Wesleyan um, perspective, um, and I want everything I bring, and I'm sure you're, you're probably bringing some stuff from the institutes and, and other sources. I'm bringing it from, in particular, one of John Wesley's sermons on working out our own salvation. And I highly recommend, uh, I'll post a link to it. You can read it. Um, and he bases his, um, his arguments on, on a bunch of scriptures, but on one main scripture, which is work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who worketh in you both to will and to do for his good pleasures uh, for his good pleasure. And that is uh, Philippians chapter two, verses 12 through 13. But in these consecutive points, we may observe Wesley writes in these consecutive or excuse me, in these comprehensive points, we may observe first the grand truth, which ought never to be out of our remembrance, it is God that worketh in us to do will and to do of his own good pleasure. Second, uh, secondly, the improvement we ought to make of it, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And thirdly, the connection between them, it is God that worketh in you, therefore work out your own salvation. Um, and so th- that is... Um, that is John Wesley's basic understanding, which I will sum up in more modern words. Um, basically, what it is saying is that um, God has given us the ability mm-hmm. uh, ahead of time, proveniently. God has given us the ability to uh, both will to do what's good and right uh, and to choose God and also the ability to do that of uh uh, of our own good, uh, you know, uh, and to do that. So, so God basically for God's own self gave us the ability out of his sovereignty, gave us the ability to, to work, uh, to, to will and to do good and to choose God. Um, and that means that we ought to be working out our own salvation with fear and trembling because that ability comes from God and it's not something we should trifle with or take lightly. And, and the bridge between those two things is that God is working within you so that you can do those things. So if God is working within you, then darn it, do it. (laughs) Right. And if God's empowering you do it. Um, I want to make a quick note just to, to tie up the sum up. Um, while people can ultimately reject God's grace in terms of choosing not to work out their own salvation, hence why Wesley's prodding people, um, God's preventing or prevenient grace is irresistible. There is nothing we can do on the day of judgment. There's nothing we can say on the day of judgment that will justify our not choosing God. So we can't go up to God one day and go, hey, God, you know. I, I was out of my hands. I couldn't do it. I, I didn't know. Yeah, you know, so so that is irresistible, and we are accountable on the day of judgment. Right. The question is, do we choose God or do we not choose God? Right. Um, and that is in God's sovereign ability to, to right. give us that ability. Yeah. Um, and Calvin would have, would have probably said that we can choose uh, not, not choose God by just simply living in our sin. Um, but... The grace is irresistible, so we have to choose God. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
It's that double-edged sword. Double-edged sword. Um, so I'm, I, I have John Calvin's commentary on the book of John. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks about um, that um, faith does not proceed from ourselves, but is the fruit of spiritual regeneration. Uh, it follows, secondly, that faith is not bare or cold knowledge, since no man can believe who has not been renewed by the Spirit of God. Um, regeneration precedes faith, whereas on the contrary, it is an effect of faith, and therefore ought to be placed later. By faith we receive the uncorruptible seed, First Peter 1, by which we are born again to a new and divine life, and yet faith itself is a work of the Holy Spirit who dwells in none but the children of God. So then, in various respects, faith is part of our regeneration and an entrance into the kingdom of God that we may reckon us among his children. The illumination of our our minds by the Holy Spirit belongs to our renewal, and thus thus, faith flows from from regeneration as from its source, the Holy Spirit. Um, He goes on to say later, um, No man can come to me unless unless the Father who hath sent me draw him. Um, Mm -hmm. therefore Christ declares that the doctrine of the gospel, though it be preached to all without exception, um, cannot be embraced by all, but that a new understanding and a new perception are requisite. And therefore that faith does not depend on the will of men, but that it is God who gives it. The ironic thing is, is John Wesley and John Calvin totally agree. They, John Wesley uses that exact same passage in the sermon. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just come to different, different. different conclusions off of it. Yeah, yeah. he yeah. says, unless it is given by my father, he now uses the word. Uh, Actually, I don't even think they come down differently on that at all. Right. Honestly. Well, here's the point. Calvin would say, unless it be given by my father, he now uses the word "give" instead of the word which he formerly used "draw." By which he means that there is no other reason why God draws than because out of free grace he loves us. Mm-hmm. For that, for what we obtain by the gift of grace of God, no man procures for himself by his own industry. Yeah, and I would say I would say that that John Wesley is on the same page. Um, where that where they start to split hairs is, but what if God part of God's grace and God's free gift is no. giving you the ability to say no. Which, which, you know, when you think about it, part of loving somebody is also letting them go if they don't want to be in a relationship right. with you. Right. It's, but, but on that point that it is God who continually gives us that ability and, and we can't say that we did it on our own without right. God, we're right. totally on the same page. So Yeah, and that goes into uh, later on with effectual calling and irresistible grace and the, that, and the confessions talk about how um, that weakness, that the difference of free will between you and I would be uh, Wesleyan would say free will, you can choose to say yes or no to God. Mm-hmm. Whereas free will to John Calvin was um, because of the fall of man and the first sin. We have free will to sin, mm-hmm. um, and that weakness to sin is always present in our lives. But because of the effectual calling, the re- re- regeneration, um, we don't have the free will to say no. We say yes. Yeah, so it's not, it's kind of like Wesley's treatment of sanctification. Like, uh, which, and here's the thing John Calvin was a systematic theologian, mm-hmm. uh, was known for writing his systematic theology called The Institute. So it's yes. well renowned. In fact, I just, you'll be proud of me. I just got the audio, audible version of it. Nice. Um, but he was known for that. 
And John Wesley is known as just the preacher who, you know, but but make no mistake, John Wesley was a theologian, an Oxford fellow, a scholar, like the best of them. And actually, in this regard, in, in the terms of his understanding of grace, he actually comes down far more systematically than John Calvin does, yep. who just kind of lumps everything together. Yeah, there is no separation of justifying grace, sanctifying yeah. grace. Previous grace, it's all just grace, and Wesley, irresistible. And Wesley, on the surface, I mean, Wesley understood that grace is grace. That, you know, it's not like God, oh, well, today I'm serving up provenient grace and tomorrow will be convicting grace. And But he broke it down into those aspects because they, they work differently in different stages of the life of the regenerate, mm-hmm. you know. And, and uh, so what, what Calvin said there sounds a lot like sanctification, while... You've already, you've already said yes to God in where Wesley would would quibble is saying, well, he has the choice to say no, but he said yes. Where they wouldn't quibble is that now that you've said yes, the Holy Spirit is working within, working you. within you. And so while while you may not be perfect and you have the tendency to fall back into your sin, God is still working salvation out in True. you. So that that part would be the same. Would be the same, and you you yeah. become an active participant in that regeneration and that. That salvation, absolutely, um, yeah. But difference is, we basically have no say in whether or not we participate. <laughs> the, the funny thing is, is it's 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 the reasoning of well, yeah, theoretically you have the free will, but you don't. Yeah, sorry, sorry, not sorry, <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Yeah, um, anything. That's the main argument. That's the main argument. Okay. Yeah. Forgive me uh, on mine, mine because of John Wesley's systematic nature here. I'm going to try to do this as succinctly as I can, but I have notes to follow. Mm-hmm. And I'm using, I didn't want to just use my words summing it up like you didn't as well. You read quotes. I have some quotes from this sermon to give you kind of the gist of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have some quotes from our confessions too. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Uh, do you want to go into those now or? Nope. Okay, we're going. Okay. So uh, I'm going to talk about the three comprehensive points that I listed above. The point one uh, uh, about God, you know, gave us both the will and um, and the, he gave us both the ability to will and to do. Um, it is God who worketh in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure the meaning of these words may be made more plain by, uh, and this is John Wesley writing, they may be made more plain by a small transposition of them, uh, recognizing that the the positioning of the words actually kind of makes it less clear. Mm-hmm. So he, re, he repositions the words to read this. It is God that of his good pleasure worketh in you both to will and to do, which it's like, oh, that's what it's saying. Um, now for Wesley, it's all about God's sovereignty. And now I'm on my words, just so you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's all about God's sovereignty. Uh, a proper understanding of Philippians chapter two, verse 13 in John Wesley's words, quote, removes all imagination of merit from man and gives God the whole glory of his own work. Otherwise, we might have had some room for boasting as if it were our own desert, uh, some goodness in us or some good thing done by us, which first moved God to work. But this expression clearly shows God's motive to work lays wholly in himself, in his own mere grace, in his unmerited mercy, 
end quote. So basically, apart from God, we're fallen and corrupted by sin, unable to notice, let alone know God or God's redemptive work. Uh, in fact, Wesley acknowledged that his affirmation of total depravity, and I love this, um, brought him within a hair's breadth of Mr. Calvin. <laughs> so he recognized, you know, on this, there's not a, really a whole lot different there um, at all. But where he deferred from Calvin was on the issue of God having to predestine um, who is saved and conversely who is not saved. Like God isn't in the business of damning people to hell. That was one beef that John had. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm sure as a Calvinist, you're not unfamiliar with that beef. Um, But what's that? That's the biggest beef. That that is the biggest beef. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Provenient grace uh, rooted in scripture is Wesley's answer to predestination. That's what it is. Um, We all have the ability to choose but without God's preventing grace, we would always fall into choosing sin and evil. So God intervenes, um, and we and we in that intervention is irresistible. We cannot say sorry, God. We didn't know. Mm-hmm. Yes, you did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and you may not have known on this, but you certainly knew on this. And so you can't stand before a holy and just God and try to work weasel your way through it. Mm-hmm. But God, in His sovereignty gave us the ability to choose God over sin. He didn't just uh, give us the ability to will it, but to choose it. And and uh, this also is affirmed in Romans chapter 2, verses 14 through 15, where it reads, When Gentiles who do not possess the law do instinctively what the law requires, these, though not having the law, are a law unto themselves, they show that what the law requires is written on their hearts to which their own conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts will accuse or perhaps excuse them. Um, so that's, that's point one. God gave us that will. Um, point two, do you have anything to say? I don't want to, I feel like I'm talking a lot, but it's, you know, this is some weighty stuff. John Wesley threw some weighty stuff in his sermon. If I preach this on a Sunday, I'd lose people probably. But but Wesley pulled it off. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and let's not think that he was preaching to scholars. No. He was preaching to people. people out in the fields. Yeah, yeah, the common people. So point two, if God worketh in you, then worketh out your own salvation. Uh, the original word rendered work out implies the doing a thing thoroughly. Uh, and and I'm quoting Wesley here, your own uh, for you yourselves must do this or it will be left undone forever. Uh, your own salvation, uh, salvation begins with what is usually termed and very properly preventing grace, including the first wish to please God, the first dawn of light concerning his will, and the first slight transient conviction of having sinned against him. All these imply some tendency toward life, some degree of salvation, the beginning of a deliverance from a blind, unfeeling heart, quite insensible of God and the things of God. Uh, End quote. Um, Thus, in my commentary, the grace is prevenient because it is given to us before we're even able to acknowledge God, 
comes before. And it is preventing because it prevents us from being trapped in that endless state of sin and death, sin and death, um, separated from a just and holy God. Um, but, but it does not do the work for us. Uh, in that while God, in God's sovereignty, gives us, gives us the ability to acknowledge God's sovereignty and turn to him for forgiveness and justification, we still have to make that choice. Prevenient or preventing grace frees us from uh, frees us to make the choice. And infant baptism, by the way, um, is a tremendously powerful witness to God's prevenient grace. So anybody that argues against infant baptism, I would argue, what God can't right. work salvation within a baby. Right. <laughs> you know, like you know that that's a that's a powerful witness. Um. So this, gre- this grace leads us to experience convincing or convicting grace, otherwise known as repentance, um, which brings a, large measure, a larger measure of self-knowledge and a further deliverance uh, from, the, from the heart of stone. That's a quote from John Wesley, um, which brings us a larger measure of self-knowledge and a further deliverance from the, from the heart of stone, followed by justification, mm-hmm. followed by sanctification, which we'll get into in later episodes, um, which brings me to point three. And I'm actually... Not doing too bad, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I, do you have anything to add to that? I'll just do mine all at one. All at one. So, so you're letting me get through. Yep. Perfect. Yay! We Yay. slapped five. We slapped our hands. High five. Um, so teamwork makes the dream. Teamwork. <laughs> teamwork makes the. So point three, um, and usually it's it's Calvin who's dense and Wesley who's succinct, but in this case uh, we're we're going with it. Um, point three, but say some. Uh, and this is a quote from John Wesley, but say, but say some, what connection is there between the former and the latter clause of this sentence? Is there not rather a flat opposition between the one and the other? If it is God that worketh in us both to will and to do, what need is there of our own working? And he's bringing up Calvinist, basically Calvinist objections to this. So what is, what need is there of our own working? Does not his working thus supersede the necessity of our working at all? Nay, does it, it does it not render our working impractical as well as unnecessary? For if we allow that God does all, what is left for us to do, <laughs> right? Um, Wesley Wesley's not a dummy. He he knows he's thinking ahead of what these objections might be to his his uh, position. Um, so Wesley saw this as the reasoning of flesh and blood. Though he acknowledged that at first hearing, it is exceedingly plausible. Yeah, I mean, if God does everything, why do we even have to worry about what we do? We do nothing because God does everything. Mm -hmm. Um, But that reasoning, he said, was not on solid ground. And when looking at it deeper, we realize that the two actually go very much together. First, First, Wesley wrote, God works, therefore you can work. Otherwise, it would be impossible. If he did not work, it would be impossible for you to work out your own salvation. With man, this is possible. With man, this is impossible, saith our Lord, for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Yea, it is impossible for any man, for any that is born of a woman, unless God work in him. It was impossible for Lazarus to come forth till the Lord had given him life. And it is equally impossible for us to come out of our sins, yea, or to make the least motion toward it, 
till he who hath all power in heaven and earth calls our dead souls to life, end quote. But for Wesley, for Wesley, the fact that God worked in us does, uh, does not give us an excuse. For Wesley, this was no excuse for those who continue in sin and lay the blame upon God by saying, it is God who must quicken us, for we cannot quicken our own souls. For Wesley, that amounts to blaming God um, that, and actually I'm quoting Wesley, that amounts to blaming God for one remaining in their sin when scripture and experience witness to God, giving us the ability to, as it says in Isaiah chapter one, verses 16 through 17, actually, I'm not quoting Wesley, I'm quoting me, sorry. Um, but in essence, he's saying scripture and experience witness to the fact that God, um, God is not to blame for our sin. We are accountable for our own sins. Uh, when it's and and we have the ability to work out our own salvation. In Isaiah chapter one verse sixteen through seventeen, it says, "Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your doing from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good." Mm-hmm. Uh, what's more, Wesley wrote, and I quote. There's no one unless he or she has quenched the spirit who is wholly void of the grace of God. Um, Again, it's irresistible. There's no one. Um, No man living is entirely destitute of what is vulgarly called natural conscience. But this is not natural. It is more properly termed preventing grace. Our natural state is sin, sadly, Mm -hmm. but God intervenes and what we call our natural conscience is actually preventing grace, meaning that God gives us, God gave us the conscience and with it, the ability to choose good from evil, to choose God's way instead of our way. And God is absolutely sovereign in doing so. And then I end with this quote from Wesley which I think is succinct, and then that sums up my points. So Wesley goes on to say that, and I quote, Everyone has some measure of that light, some faint glimmering ray, which sooner or later, more or less, enlightens everyone who comes into the world. And everyone, unless they are one of the small number of whose conscience is seared as with a hot iron, feels more or less uneasy when they act contrary to the light of their own conscience so that no one sins so that no one sins because he does not have grave um but excuse me so that no one sins because he does not um have knowledge i guess but because or no excuse me so that no one sins because he does not have grace but because he does not use the grace he has. That makes sense, right? Um, so it's not a matter of us not having the grace. It's a matter of us not using the grace not we've been given. Uh, therefore, in as much as God works in you, you are now able to work your own salvation, uh, work out your own salvation. We know indeed that word of his to be absolutely true. Without me, you can do nothing. John chapter 15, verse 5. But on the other hand, we know that every believer can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. So that in summation, well, that in point by point, is Wesley's understanding of God's prevenient, preventing grace. How do I follow that up? (sighs) Mic drop. (laughs) I'm going to take another sip. My mouth is dry. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, mic drop. Boom. <laughs> ah. All right, now I got to defend Calvinism. <laughs> Don't defend, just <laughs> present. <laughs> now I'm going to present from a couple of our uh, from the Presbyterian Church USA's Book of Confessions. Um, every Reformed Church has different confessions. There's a couple that kind of Westminster is pretty common. I'll touch on that. Most um, Scots Confession we use. Um, Westminster Shorter Catechism I'm going to mm-hmm. use. So each each Reformed denomination has its own set of what it's decided is the core um, confessions. Sure. Um, but, so from the second Helvetic Confession, which was uh, Helvetic is just the Swiss uh, Latin word for Swiss. It came out of the Swiss church and uh, Zwingli shortly after the time of Calvin kind of condensed what they thought. Sure. Um, and chapter nine of that is on of free will and thus human powers. Um, so I'm going to read, read it and I'll kind of interpret it a little bit. So, um, section 5.44, man does evil by his own free will. Therefore, in regard to evil or sin, man is not forced by God or by the devil, but does evil by his own free will. And in this respect, he must, he has a most free will. But when we frequently see that the worst crimes and designs of men are prevented by God from reaching their purpose, this does not take away man's freedom of doing evil, but God, by his power, his own power, prevents what man freely planned otherwise. Thus Joseph's brothers freely determined to get rid of him, but they were unable to do it because something else seemed good to the counsel of God. Uh, Man is not capable of good per se, In regard to goodness and virtue, man's reason does not judge rightly of itself concerning divine things. For the evangelical and apostolic scripture requires regeneration of whomever among us wishes to be saved. Hence, our first birth from Adam contributes nothing to our salvation. Paul says, The unspiritual man does not receive the gifts of the Spirit of God, etc. in 1 Corinthians 2. In another place, he denies that we ourselves are capable of thinking anything good. That's 2 Corinthians uh, Corinthians 3, 5. Now it is known that the mind or the intellect is the guide of the will, and when the guide is blind, it is obvious how far that the will reaches. Wherefore, man yet, not yet regenerate, has no free will for good, no strength to perform this good. The Lord says in the gospel, Truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin, and that's John 8. And the Apostle Paul says, The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot, Romans 8. Yet in regard to earthly things, fallen man is not entirely lacking in understanding. So basically, once man's mind is regenerated, it it can do good. He can do good, but until that, he cannot. Um... So basically, um, it goes on to say that, um, like I said, man does evil by his own free will, but by God's grace and being regenerated through the Holy Spirit, he then becomes able to do good works. Um, In all of that, that actually sounds very much Wesley's <laughs> argument. I, 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 I would guess that the, the Wesley's argument, and, and the difference is, is that, that John Calvin didn't really establish a systematic way of viewing grace itself, but that grace is, it comes from God period and it regenerates. And 
prevenient, convicting, justifying, and sanctifying grace is all just grace to mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to, to John what uh, to John Calvin. Yep. But where the I think where the bone the hair splits is on w- God, how God enacts God's own sovereignty. Right. It's not whether God is sovereign, but how God uses that sovereignty. Right. Does God is a part of grace giving us the ability to choose God and work out our own salvation or are we saved because God chose to save us or damned because God chose to damn us and there's absolutely nothing we can do about that right when they go the the second Helvetic goes on to say that uh, the uh, regenerate work of God is not only passive but active Mm -hmm. um, and that free will is weak in the regenerate the free will to sin is weak so basically in regeneration our understanding uh, is enlightened by God's grace, by the Holy Spirit, uh, to understand the mystery and will of God. The Holy Spirit changes the will of man, and it is able to do good. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, <clears throat> our, there, then our work is not only passive but active. Our free will to sin is weakened, and our our will to do good is no longer passive; it becomes active. It becomes active. Um, so that's what this that's interesting and that that's an interesting you wouldn't necessarily just get that out of tulip that seems like people are going in and maybe when when was this written this was written in the 1560s okay so it was before wesley Mm -hmm. but there were there were i mean arminius and and whatnot there were people that were objecting to that lack of free that seemingly lack of free will and this almost seems like a response no 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 wait a second, wait a second. Yep. <laughs> yeah 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 yeah, yep. yeah 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 interesting um, and so in the westminster confession which kind of replaced the scots confession um which was written around the time of the writing of the, the king james bible Rock on. um thus saith the lord thus saith the lord <laughs> in response to those anglicans um let me get to where i was all right, so of, of free will, this is the Westminster Confession. Um, when God converteth a sinner and translateth him into a state of grace, he freeth him from his natural bondage under sin, and by his grace alone enable him freely to will and to do which is spiritually good. It has, so as that, by reason of his remaining corruption, he, do, he doth not perfectly nor only will that which is good, but doth also will that which is evil. The will of man is made perfectly and immediately free to good alone in the state of glory only. Which, absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's, (laughs) right now I'm hearing no objections from the Wesleyans on that. I mean, like... God converts converts sinners into a state of grace. He frees them um, from bondage of sin and by grace enables them to do good work. Um, I'm sure Wesley would not uh, be opposed to that. So what, and this is where we get into the regeneration or what Westminster calls effectual calling. Um, I have a feeling that in this series on grace, we're going to be making uh, Reverend Sal repeat himself. (laughs) We're going to make a systematic grace theologian of, graceful theologian of you yet. Uh, All those whom God hath, hath predestined unto life and those only he is pleased and is appointed an accepted time effectually to call by his word and spirit out of the state of sin and death, which were by nature to grace and salvation in Jesus Christ, enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God, 
taking away their heart of stone and giving unto them a heart of flesh, renewing their wills by his almighty power, determining that them to that which is good and effectually drawing them to Jesus Christ, yet so as they come most freely being made willing by his grace. Hmm. Um, so effectual calling is the kind of equivalent of preventing prevenient grace. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's the closest way to... Mm-hmm. The effectual call is of God's free and special grace alone, not from anything at all foreseen in man, who is altogether passive therein until being quickened and renewed by the Holy Spirit. He is thereby enabled to answer this call and embrace the grace offered and conveyed in it. Hmm. Um, so that, and now that's only for the elect. Mm-hmm. This effectual calling allows us to receive only for the elect. Only and for that's the where, that's where you're going to find the Wesleyans going, but wait a second. So God only does that for the elect, but anybody else cannot do it because God has left them in a state of sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For whatever reason God chose to. Because of God's sovereignty. And Right. Which is, which it, which as a Wesleyan, and again, by the way, um, as we conclude this discussion a bit on prevenient grace and just give some thoughts, this is not about who is right or wrong. I, I just want to make that clear. Like Sal and I, uh, we, we don't sit here all day and beat each other over the head with our own theologies. And actually, we work very well together <laughs> under those differing the- theologies. Uh, we're brothers in Christ. And I, mm-hmm. I don't think Sal looks at me any differently than I look at him in terms of our relationship as brothers in Christ. This isn't about who's right or wrong, but about how Christians interpret Scripture differently and come to the same conclusions on the essential on the essentials, at least via different paths. Now, some of those conclusions are quite different, and we don't arrive in the same place. But on the essentials, I would say we we pretty much do. Right. Um, but this is where the Wesleyan in me starts to cringe because I, one thing I always hear. Uh, I don't always hear it from you, but I hear it in general from Calvinists who argue against the Arminian Wesley. Not that Wesley was 150% on board with everything Arminius taught, but on the things that he was. um, This is the pushback I hear. You guys take away God's sovereignty because God chose who, you know, if God's sovereign, God has the right to choose who's saved and who's damned. And on a theoretical level god is god god can do whatever the hell god wants to do mm-hmm. yeah i get that but i also in in, put in in conversation with calvinists who would would throw that at me i would say yeah but wait a second you're limiting god's so- sovereignty as well because you're saying god doesn't have the sovereignty to give us the choice right. to choose god i mean like on either end of that we're talking about god's sovereign nature nature and uh and that that sounds like you're you're referring to some cage stage, early. We, we <laughs> yeah, yeah. Calvinists would call that cage stage. Yeah, where they're very aggressive and it's like, no, this is the black and white. Right, the cage stage. Cage yeah, stage. the the, the um, small R reformed. Yes. Hyper hyper Calvinist. Yeah. Um, yeah. And to be clear, that's Sal has never thrown <laughs> that at me. I've no, I've never personally thrown it. Um, yeah, I mean, there's that, and I think that's kind of where you get into. it. Uh, reform thought is always changing, you know. It's reforming. Always, once reformed, <laughs> always reforming. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's where you get into sort of like the work of Karl Barth and who Calvinists love and 
Wesleyan's love because he's kind of that middle ground. He's the Mia, 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 or the Via Medea between Calvinism and Wesleyanism. Yeah, yeah. Stage case, cage Calvinist hate Bart. By the way, oh yeah, he can't. Um, he does not satisfy them. Does not satisfy them. Um, but his his understanding of the sovereignty of God allows for that kind of well. I mean, okay, maybe the elect, maybe. We are the elect, and Jesus was the reprobate. <laughs> yeah, um, Bart kind of does. Well, God and God's sovereignty decided to punish all of humanity for its sins, but through God's own self and Jesus Christ. Yep. <laughs> and and uh, everybody through Jesus Christ is elect, and, but some people may not choose that. Yes. So, <laughs> so it's like, it, it is literally the in-between best of both, both worlds. Of both, both and worlds. you won't hear too many people on either side of the, the mainstream debate, um, outside the cage, so to speak. Um, you won't hear many people picking bones of contention with Bart. And honestly, both of our theologies, my theology and Todd's theology, are scriptural. <laughs> yeah. If he didn't pick up the fact that John Wesley quoted a whole heck of a lot of scripture, mm. and and that's why all jokes aside, you're like, okay, how do I how do I follow up that? How do I follow up with that one? We're talking about, and this is the interesting, this is the really awesome thing about both John Calvin and John Wesley, <laughs> both of whom were brilliant and yet flawed at the same time, uh, as are all humans. These are these are weighty people. These are people who have have education behind them uh wesley was able to uh to translate his own uh, you know bible and and write and write commentary on the bible based off of you know how he understood the hebrew and the greek these are and john calvin was no less so i mean they both were they worked differently in their own spheres but they were equally as brilliant as the other and that's why you see this back and forth between Wesley and Calvinism and Calvin and Arminius. And, and you know, you see, well, Arminius came a little later, but mm-hmm. but you see this this give and this take between them as a result of their brilliance and their ability to go into scripture and find what it means for them in these absolutely reformational, uh, revolutionary times. I mean, properly speaking, uh, technically speaking, John Wesley isn't, you know, Wesleyanism isn't considered reformed, reformed, and yet Wesley spent his entire life reforming, reforming, and, and 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 so he is reformed. He's just not reformed in the reformed sense of reform. So it's, right. it, yeah, yeah. It's um, and I think we can. Uh, I I like this this question from the shorter catechism from Westminster, and it, it kind of leads into our next couple episodes of on grace. Um, what are, what benefits do they that are effectually called partake of in this life? This is in reference to the effectual calling regeneration. The answer that they are effectually called to do in this life, partake of justification, adoption, sanctification, and the several benefits, which in this life do either accompany or flow from them. Mm. So I think Calvin and Wesley would agree that 
however you phrase it, this is all working towards us being <laughs> justified and sanctified and adopted into God's family. Again, though we see it differently, it results in the same thing. It results in the same thing. <laughs> um, may, maybe you could say it doesn't for those who are unelect in the Reformed understanding, but in reality, both both sides understand that there are people who will be saved and there are people who will not be, whether they choose to not be or God says, yeah, I don't want anything to do with those over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Either way, there are some who will be saved and will respond to God's grace and others who... Who will not. Who will not. Yeah. You know, when Jesus talks about the, the sheep and the goats and those who will sit on the left and the right and all that, you know, we can both sit here and yeah. scour through scripture and say, well, no, this is my point. I win. No, you. I win. No, I win. No, I win. <laughs> Meanwhile, Jesus face palms. Face palms. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I love the Snoopy, Snoopy cartoon of Snoopy is writing a book and uh, Charlie uh, asks him what what the title of the book is. Mm-hmm. And he says, the title is, uh, do you know that you're wrong? <laughs> of course I do because I'm never wrong. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think that really kind of wraps up our talk on prevenient grace. Uh, if you're still scratching your head, that's okay. We will post. Uh, that's okay. So am I. So am I. Yeah. We, we will post links to John, John Wesley's sermon, to what uh, Sal um, uh, quoted it with uh, the confessions, the confessions and, and to uh, Calvin's sermon on uh, or commentary on John. On John. Right. Uh, so we'll, we'll post links to those things plus all the other things. Um, but I think that this is a good place for us to end this discussion. So um, as always, we want to thank you for tuning in. Um, we want you to go uh, forth in the grace of God. But before you do, my friends, uh, we also want to invite you to check out our episode notes where you will see the link to our podcast, which is also on iTunes and Spotify and, and Google, Google Play, Play Music. And then we want you to check out uh, Sal's personal blog, which is Black Belt Spirituality at blogspot.com. There was a recent posting on that. So I'm trying to get more active into that. And I'm enjoying it, by the way. Um, And mine, of course, is uh, lifegivingwaterdevo.org. And those are biweekly, twice a week, free um, for you to to be edified by. Mm -hmm. Um, And then... uh, you can also check out my personal podcast, which is lifegivingwatermsg.org. Right. And you can find us through partyonjohn.org, uh, Party on Johncast on Facebook and Twitter. Both Todd and myself are on uh, social media as well. You can find that through our, our notes. As Wesley said, just because you, um, just because God is working within you does not mean you are excused for not finding us on social media. That's right. So, but remember, as we're Abra- there. <laughs> but remember, as Abraham Lincoln said, never trust a quote on the internet. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. Here, here. And um, so, with that said, my friends, um, I'm going to turn it over to Sal by saying, "Party on, Sal." Party on, Todd. Rock on. Rock on. And remember, don't be a jerk. You're here. Excellent. <laughs>